Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete and co-host... Ryan! Cam! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Team Anders' goal is to serve its clients in finding the home that best fits their needs and make the process simple and fun along the way. They are a team of people who will be in close communication, personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. Team Anders has served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Welcome to TFS pod number eight, four. We are in August. We are getting ever closer to football season. In fact, you could technically say it's football season now. By way of intro, a quick bravo to Sir Nick Faldo and what a heartfelt send off. Come on, Jim, no tears. Fling golf? What the F is this? Chris showed it to us in the Ocho last night, which, by the way, was followed by air hockey championships. Are we that desperate, ESPN? Uh, Yeah, and we'll get to why in a little bit. I got to know what else is going on at Oklahoma that the winningest Sooner of all time, we're talking player-coach combined, stepped down for reading someone else's words off their iPad? Something smells fishy there. What do you do if you're the Brooklyn Nets? Wave goodbye to Juicebox or fire your coaches. Finally, officially, no more weekends without some football until February. Let's go. 18 days till CFB kicks off. Let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. Lots of stuff to be excited about um, in the wide world of sports. Lots of news. been a very heavy last few days in terms of news um, for once. Um but yeah, I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, I'm just excited for football, especially the NFL. I've been reading a lot of NFL stuff. And tonight we got Hard Knocks. The Lions are on Hard Knocks. These guys, I, I'm excited to watch this. If you don't have HBO Max, maybe get a free trial or something. Um, find a way, because uh, this looks like it's going to be pretty awesome. Get a sneak peek at the Lions and see what they're all about. Um, they're fiery. This is the most emotion I've ever seen anybody show. Dan Campbell cares. The players care. They buy into his system. Can't wait to see this in the behind the scenes and see it in action. Hopefully, it'll pan out and get they'll get better. And the next year, they'll have a chance to hopefully compete for a playoff spot. Um, so, and just super excited for the NFL. Crazy stuff going on. Bear trade requests being blocked. All this nonsense. So, crazy stuff. Um, yeah, but I'm excited. Someone's drinking the Lions Kool-Aid again. I warn you, don't do it. I'm not drinking any Kool-Aid. All right, I could have gone a few ways with this. This was more of a, a last-second pick for, for mine because we could have gone live, but we can talk about that in the golf section. Ryan and I both were actually going to talk about that. So, you know, I'm doing my homework for my previews this week. It's probably not really a big shock, uh, the two teams that I have from the Big Ten East this week. I'm picking number three and number two this week. So as I'm doing my homework, and granted, I know a lot about this team in particular, Michigan State, but, you know, I want to just, you know, kind of see what 
triathlon and college football news and some of the other so-called experts say. So I got to read you this gem from one at Pete Futak, F-I-U-T-A-K. I think he writes for USA Today or whatever in College Football News, which is a part of USA Today Network. So I'm going to go verbatim on here. This is the, how he starts his preview. Give Tucker and the Spartans all the credit for finding a way to get it done last year. You don't luck your way into 11 wins and a New Year's 6 win, but beating Miami wasn't that big a deal. The schedule was loaded with layups until late October. The Spartans got a few massive breaks against Michigan. Yeah, never mind what Kenneth Walker did. That's my paraphrase. They go, go. he says go, not got, go totally annihilated by Ohio State and walloped by Purdue. Fair. Got Penn State and Michigan in East Lansing. And Pitt not having Kenny Pickett turned out to be a gigantic deal. Oh, like not having Kenny Walker was not a big deal in that game? And blah, 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 11-2, doing the nation's worst pass defense and the worst overall defense in the Big Ten. You know what, Pete? Kiss my ass. You're just like every other, quote, national pundit who supposedly does his, quote, homework that's a homer for some other school. I'm tired of people railing against Michigan State without giving credit where credit was due. Tucker totally refurbished his uh, entire roster last year with 20 transfers, well-chronicled, got a huge bump and a raise because Michigan State won the games they were supposed to win. Yes, going on the on the road, even against a mediocre Miami team in September, is not easy to do because you're playing where it's 95 degrees and 95% humidity. That's a home field advantage for them that Michigan State took advantage of and turned on them. Michigan State won games like the Michigan game by coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. So what I have to say to all these Michigan State haters Kiss my ass. You don't have to predict Michigan State to go 13-0 and go to the CFP this year and win a national title. I'm not asking you to do that. But stop making excuses for how good Michigan State was last year because you don't feel like giving credit where it's due. Shove it, Pete. Shove your magazine. Shove me ever even taking a peek at it as a potential resource in the future. All right, moving on. Let's go to our tee-up of the week. Ryan, I think I kind of mentioned this in the... Uh, intro a little bit, but let's. Why don't you give us the tee up? Yeah. Um, well, this week we're gonna tee up Mr. Kevin Durant. He's been in the news a lot lately. Um, AKA Juicebox. I, I want to be traded. I don't want to be traded. All this crap, and now he's saying Steve Nash and what I don't even know. Their the general person. manager. Neither need to go, or, or else I'm leaving. Dude, you don't run the team. You're you, you have, you've been washed for the last three years. You get hurt every year. I mean, yeah, you've been a great player in the NBA, but no more of this. You don't own this. You're not. Don't be LeBron, okay? We don't need you to be on his level. We already have one of him. That's enough. This would kind of be, in a way, analogous to me going in and saying to uh, our chairman, you better do it this way in the office furniture business or I'm leaving. Um, yeah, you know what he would do? He'd say, um, see ya, Andy. Like, if they give in to this demand for a player, I'm sorry, KD, one of the probably arguably top 20 players of all time, getting a little up there in age, what has he done without a nucleus? What did he do with the nucleus there? I ain't buying it. I'm not firing my coach and my general manager if I believe in what they're doing. I'm saying bye-bye, juice box. Screw you players for trying to hold the cards and demand everything from ownership until you stomp your feet and get what you want. You are a microcosm of what is wrong with society today. 
All right, let's move on to our four-down territory. We are rich with college football again this week. We've got Big Ten uh, third picks in the first spot. We've got a little um, overall college football chit-chat. Coach's poll came out yesterday. We're going to kind of go through that, overrated, underrated, a little bit of other big college football news to kind of just brush upon. Third down, we've got our second picks in the East and the West. And, of course, fourth down will end as we always do with golf. Plenty with the FedEx Cup coming up this week and plenty of stuff going on with the Live Golf Tour as alluded to. All right, Ryan, you get to start us out. Give us your third pick in the Big Ten West. Yep. Um, If you recall, we're going back to the last couple weeks. Northwestern had finishing last. Then I tied for fifth here in the West, Nebraska and Illinois. Um, and then fourth place, I had the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Now, three teams remain. A team that I am very high on, bullish, um, you would say, um, the Purdue Boilermakers. I have them um, you know, finishing uh, tied for second in the Big Ten West, um, thinking of a good season. Little uh, five-year trend for the Boilers. So 2017, they went 7-6, 7-6. 2018, 6-7. 2019, 4-8. 2020, 2-4. And last year, they went 9-4. Beat Tennessee in that great game in the Music City Bowl. Um, Fun fact, is this the dark horse of college football? First time they've had pretty legitimate expectations in quite a while. Um, My other thing, just fun fact, the Purdue Big bass drum is 10 feet high and has only missed one game in the last 42 years and that was last year at Notre Dame because it could fit in the visitors tunnel or Notre Dame just wouldn't let them on the field that's probably more Bunch like of babies. it all right you start with the offense here so the boilers um you know they lost David Bell one of the better receivers in the Big Ten went to the Washington Commanders um pretty early in the draft they lose him they lose a couple offensive linemen um then one of their tight ends Durham Smythe I believe um is his last name, lose him to the NFL, graduation, whatever. Um, and they're, you know, they, and they return Aiden O'Connell. Headliner, 3,700 yards passing last year, 28 touchdowns. Purdue averaged 29 points a game. He slung it all over the yard. They're probably going to do the same thing this year. I expect a big year out of Aiden. He's like, it's crazy to say he's like the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the Big Ten when he's pretty dang good, honestly. Um, pretty impressive um, quarterback um, grouping in the Big Ten. But run, you know, run, the run game is where they have had problems, you know, in the in the past. And they're um, two. They have two guys back. They're two leagues rushers. King, I'm gonna butcher this. Doru and Dylan Downing. They're back. Um, they need to pick it up because and be legit and at least respectable because they don't run the ball much. And if they can run the ball a little bit, it could be an interesting team. They could score more points. Payne Durham is primed for a big year. He's a big tight end. I think he had a pretty good 2021. Um, expect him to be a big-time target. Um, at receiver, I said they lost David Bell. Um, they get back Brock Thompson. He was kind of dinged up toward the end of last year, but very experienced, um, has done some good stuff. And they got T.J. Sheffield is more of a speed guy. Um, expect him to, to get a lot of touches. Um, pretty good stuff. And they're kind of a real retooled offensive line. Uh, Spencer Holstege and Gus Hartwig, the garden center. Those are their only veterans. The rest of it, not much playing experience. Um, so they're going to kind of just see what happens, I guess. They're going to get th- thrown to the wolves 
Um, playing at the Penn State, pretty good front seven that they have. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but key newcomers, they have some pretty good transfers coming in. They do have Kentrell March, a three-star running back. Expect him to see the field, one of their highest-rated recruits. Um, Purdue was the ninth-rated recruiting class in the Big Ten, so it's, I mean, it's all right. Um, not great, but you know what? It's Purdue. They don't usually recruit awfully well, so we'll give them a pass there. But they do have Elijah Canyon, I believe that's how you say his name, coming in. Um, he is from Auburn. Um, 6'3 receiver, pretty big guy. Probably will get some touches. Then Tyrone Tracy, he's an Iowa transfer. He's probably going to be one of their top three receivers. He's from Indianapolis, so he's kind of back semi-home. Um, expect th- those two to get some touches out there. Uh, then their defense. Uh, very poor run defense in 2021. They had, even though they had Karloftis, who was um, I think one of the last picks of the first round there to the Chiefs. Um, they lose him, uh, but they do return Kieran Douglas. He's back for his sixth year. He's definitely the leader of this defense. Um, then they also have Jalen Graham. He's played a lot um, for him there. Linebacker provides depth. D-line is definitely where they need help. Um, they only have one guy coming back with a decent amount of experience, and that's Kydron Jenkins. Um, true freshman, four stars, Nick Carraway and Joe Strickland will need to step up. I think those guys are going to see some playing time. Pretty big guys there in the middle. Um, their secondary returns a lot of guys. Cam Allen, Chris Jefferson, and Jamari Brown, who is 6'3", so they got some size back there. Um, but it all starts up front, um, getting to the quarterback, providing pressure. Um, so, yeah. And then, and then they do have a cornerback transfer, T. Denson from Kansas State. Played a little bit for them. Um, so Purdue's defense eh, could be okay. I'm expecting big things out of this offense um, coming up here in 2022. Uh, and then their special teams, uh, their punter is back. He was okay. His name is Jack Ansel. He was all right. Then Mitchell Finneran, he's the kicker. Um, he went 24 for 29 last year, so <clears throat> excuse me, pretty solid um, returning kicker there. So strength, definitely the pass game. Aiden O'Connell is a legit quarterback. I'm um, expecting big, big things at him. Weakness, run game, um, and both sides of the trenches. I think they have some you know, guys that have to prove it here. Um, we're going to find out real quick who they are. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they can do it. I think that they're, they're well coached. I, I like Brom. Um, good coach, good guy. Um, and their schedule is – it's not easy, but I think that, you know, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm bullish. Um, I think they're going to be good. They start off with Penn State at home. Could be – I think it's going to be a great game. I think they're going to win this game, though. Pull the upset over the Nittany Lions. James Franklin's going to cry himself to sleep. Then they got the Sycamores of Indiana State at home. That's a win. At Syracuse, win. They're not very good. Home against Florida Atlantic. Willie Taggart, win. Um, then they go to Minnesota. I think it's gonna, they're going to have their first slip up. Um, have a loss. Then they play at Maryland. I have them winning that. Home against Nebraska, winning that. At Wisconsin, so that would make them at that point. You six and one going to <clears throat> to Madison. Have them losing. Then they have a bye week. Uh, then Iowa have them losing that. Then they have. At Illinois, home against Northwestern, at Indiana, finishing on a three-game win streak there. 3-0 and out of conference for keeping the score at home. 6-3 and in the Big Ten, good for 9-3 and overall. Um, that's, like I said, at first, tied for second in the Big Ten West Division. I'm going to the reliquist Tampa Bay Bowl. Oh, they have a sponsor now? Yeah, it's oh, that, that I just learned the that. Tampa Bay Bowl. Yep. That's weird. It's been the Outback Bowl forever. 
Uh, and my pick for number three in the Big Ten West, if you recall to last week, I have a four-way tie for second. Uh, so a glut of teams going five and four. So for tiebreaker purposes, I have Minnesota in this slot um, going eight and four overall, five and four tied for second in the Big Ten West. One and two versus the other teams it ties with, which are Purdue, Wisconsin, and um, Nebraska. <laughs> and a, uh, a loss versus Iowa and heading to the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Dukes. All right, so that is a look at Ryan's, <coughs> excuse me, pick Purdue. My Big Ten East number three actually tied for third with last week's uh, final pick from me, which was Penn State, uh, is the Michigan Wolverines. And they could very easily, and you'll see why when we get into the prediction, they could swap with uh, my number two pick for the conference for sure, um, based on strictly head-to-head. Uh, their five-year trend, 2017, 5-4, and four, 2018, 8-1. and one, um, Got a 62 spot hung on them by Ohio State. 6-3 and three in 2019. 2020, they went 2-4. and four, um, Wussed out of some games, notably Ohio State. Lost to a not very good Michigan State team. Um, and then last year, of course, 9-1, including the Big Ten Championship game and their first Big Ten Championship. Fun fact... Speaking of which, last year marked the Wolverines' first Big Ten title since 2004. Prior to that, Michigan won or tied for eight conference crowns in a 15-year span, pretty much all under Sir Lloyd Carr and also a little bit under Gary Muller before he got fired before being an alcoholic. Um, That was, if you can't do the math, well before the main playmakers on this team were alive. Quick way of summary, uh, Michigan football has definitely been much better under Harbaugh than it was under Rich Rod or Hoke, but the glaringly obvious question has to be, if your program recruits itself and is so steeped in history, why only one Big Ten title in the past 17 years? And the thing is, aside from 2018, it really hasn't been close. You could argue 2015, the punt against Michigan State, 2016, whatever. You can argue those all you want. That was before they played Ohio State. 2018 was the closest they got to it, and they got 62 hung on them. Is that acceptable to Michigan fans? Is your coach flirting with the Vikings to the point of assuming he got the job and alienating award-winning coordinators acceptable? Look, I'm no fan of the maize and blue, but I can separate bias and reality. And the fact is, Michigan is a perennial underachiever, at least based on annual preseason expectations. A program with that clout and those recruiting classes should compete for more titles. At me all you want. Argue me. That's true. Last year was a right step, but that all-world defense was pretty well decimated by high-level NFL departures. The offense could be special, but is Corum capable of being a durable every-down guy, which seems to be what they expect? Can Michigan really beat Ohio State twice in a row after it had been basically forever since they'd beaten them? Finally, can they take out Michigan State for the first time in three years? We'll get to all that and more. Offensively, Michigan's offense is going to be good, and really good, if it can avoid a quarterback controversy. As the old adage goes, and I've said on this pod before, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. The fans are clamoring for McCarthy, but McNamara got you to the CFP last year and J.J. was shelved in the spring with a bum shoulder. Yes, McCarthy has more upside. Yes, he's bigger, he's faster, he has a livelier arm, he was a higher recruit. 
But McNamara is a proven winner, and he started every game last year. I think he stays the starter, but the platoon continues this year. And it kind of reminds me, because Ryan and I were watching this the other night, of the 1999 Michigan team, who then had kind of a, a, a ho-hum guy, you know, maybe you've heard of him, Tom Brady, sharing game reps with wonder kid Drew Henson. I'm not saying Cade is the next Brady, but seriously, how do you sideline a guy who brought you places you hadn't been in a generation? Beyond the sub-drama that lies there, this offense is undoubtedly loaded. It all starts, as it has for years with this program, especially when they're good, is up front. And this dates back to when I was a kid. Michigan has arguably the best offensive line in the country this year. While two starters have departed, there was plenty of depth last year, which is critical. In the arrival of grad transfer Olesegun Olawatami, plus the return, I think he was a Remington finalist last year, plus the return of left tackle Ryan Hayes, all Big Ten guard Zach Zinter, makes this group the cream of the crop in the Big Ten, and as I said, I believe in the country. That line will be paving the way for near 1,000-yard rusher Blake Corum and the electric Donovan Edwards. But for my money, while these guys are really good, don't discount the loss of a hoss like Hassan Haskins. He was he was what he was the guy that could get the tough yards. Corum, no doubt, game breaker, could break the long ones fast. But he's little. Is he durable? He got hurt late in the year last year. Can he hold up this year? Donovan Edwards is an electric type of guy, but he's not a durable type every down back either, I don't think. As for pass catchers, we all know that the Wolverines have a storied history here, and the return of Ronnie Bell is a boon for a young but explosive wide receiver room. Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson are also very good, and in case you didn't see how he torched Michigan State last year, so is East Lansing native Andrell Anthony. Toss in a solid incoming class like usual, and a field-stretching tight end in Eric All, another guy that burned Michigan State a lot last year, and there are weapons aplenty for McNamara or McCarthy or both. Defense. Question mark for this team, in my mind, is definitely the defense. Albeit quite talented, of course. You don't, you know, Michigan recruits. But you don't just replace the output of Jabo and Hutchinson in your pass rush, 25 combined sacks, which despite the presence of these two was honestly, actually, if you look at it, pretty average. Their individual brilliance considered. And the new defensive coordinator is from Vanderbilt. Yes, by way of the Baltimore Ravens, but Vanderbilt is not exactly a bastion of defensive gurus. Speaking of the front four, can defensive end Taylor Upshaw bring the heat to fill a void? He's got a big job to do, big shoes to fill. He'll be helped by a great combo on the interior and Maisie Smith and Chris Jenkins. Maisie Smith is huge, 326-some pounds. Uh, But overall, the front is pretty thin inside, and it's pretty inexperienced outside. That's a far cry from last year's crew, who did, as I mentioned, struggle at times, even with that great front. Um, And sorry to pick on you, Michigan, but the Michigan State game comes to mind, the way that Michigan State beat you really both through the air and on the ground. As you transition back a level, Junior Colson is back in the middle, and Hill Green did see a lot of playing time and will fill a starting slot for sure. But at the moment, aside from those two guys, no one else is popping off the page as a surefire go-to guy to gobble up anything that gets to the second level. That's something great Michigan defenses has always had is some great linebackers. If that doesn't make you sweat as a Wolverines fan, the loss of three starters from the secondary, which was really, really good, might. Daxton Hill is a huge loss in particular, the depth may be shaky, with some sources touting converted receiver Mike Sanistrill 
as a starting cornerback. We've seen that at Michigan State before. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Tony Lippett, good transition there, two-way player, but it remains to be seen. DJ Turner looks to grab one of the spots for sure at corner. And the good news is the schedule is weak early, and Michigan almost always produces at least one special cover corner, so there's plenty of time to build it up. Safety does appear to be in good hands with Rod Moore and R.J. Moten. Special teams, another great strength of the Michigan team. Jake Moody and Brad Robbins are back for like their ninth year, I think. Um, they always have plenty of options to field punts and kicks. The Wolverines could go with stud talented starters, or they could plug in an electric newcomer, find definite success in this fast of the game. I would have no concerns for special teams if I'm a Michigan fan. Strength-wise, you got to go offensive line. Michigan is almost always one of the best in the Big Ten in this year. They might be the best in the nation when all is said and done. Weakness, it, it, rare to say this for Michigan, and I've talked about it a lot on the podcast, how the difference between the great and the good is depth. I think Michigan lacks a lot of proven depth in some key spots, especially on defense. Now, we've seen with other teams that that can work out, especially with an electric offense, but we shall see. Um, and the other thing, I, I just, for me, maybe Michigan fans would disagree, maybe other experts would disagree. The lack of a clear-cut quarterback, QB1, if you will, if you will that's 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 something for me. I, I, I just think you got to have a guy. you got to stop playing this, oh, my other guy might transfer. Pick one, ride with him. If he gets hurt, play the other one. That's how it should go. That's just my opinion. Pick-wise, Michigan has arguably the easiest out-of-conference schedule. That might be an yeah, I, I mean, understatement. Yeah, they've got Colorado State, who in the past has been good, but is not very good. No, they're not. At good. home, that's a win. they got Hawaii at home, that's a win. Now, Ryan did say they're playing them at like night or at 4 it's o'clock. At 8 which, o'clock. So at least it's not like, you know, a nooner, which is so 6 They're playing Colorado State at noon, which is 10 o'clock. There. Yeah, well, they play them in basketball, the same thing, too. Uh, and then they play UConn, who I believe sat out like a year for COVID and is like legit should probably be an FCS but regardless that's an easy way for them to start and maybe plug some of those holes so that's an easy 3-0 start not a question Michigan will probably be favored by at least four touchdowns in every one of those games then they start with Maryland still at home a little bit tougher test still that's a dub first big test on the road at Iowa Michigan has struggled there in some classic games over the years a Bo Schembechler Hayden Fry matchup and I believe it was like 1985 comes to mind I think Iowa gets Michigan in this game um, I think Michigan bounces back goes on the road and smokes Indiana and then I think they come home and get a, their first really true big win of the season with a win over a pretty decent Penn State team um, then they've got a bye and it matches up with Michigan State's bye and it is at the big house for the third time in four years, I think it is, or the second time in three years, or whatever that amounts to. Um, I, You call me a homer all you want. I looked at this. I hemmed and I hawed. And it could go either way. Believe me, it could go either way. But I just don't see Michigan. I think Michigan State has Michigan's number right now. I think they're so hell-bent on, little brother, you're not our rival. We don't care. We're focused on Ohio State that it trips them up every year. And maybe somebody will finally admit, hey, we got to pay attention to this. Maybe Harbaugh will. I don't know. But until that is proven otherwise, I'm not going to pick Michigan to beat Michigan State. I'm just not. Um, and I think they're pretty even to boot anyway, which we'll get into in a little bit. So I actually have Michigan losing that game to Michigan State. Then I have them going to Rutgers, getting some retribution for that loss to Michigan State and pounding Rutgers, coming home, pounding Nebraska, then 
pounding Illinois at home. So things are looking really good again. Going to Ohio State, they got an outside chance at maybe a Big Ten title at that point in time until they go to Columbus. And Columbus remembers what happened last year when they took for granted how often they beat Michigan and Ohio State gets a little bit of payback and probably doesn't hang up a 62, but Day's kind of pissed about last year. I don't think Ohio State loses that game this year. All told, Michigan goes an easy 3-0 out of conference, 6-3 in the Big Ten, and 9-3 overall. Uh, tied for third with Penn State at 6-3 in the Big Ten. And they do, with that 9-3, eke out a New Year's Six Bowl game, which should at least make some people happy, albeit this is an offense that could power them to maybe 10-2, a stretch maybe 11-1. I think 9-3 is a pretty solid prediction. Again, I could see him going either way. I don't really see him dropping to 8-4. I could see him squeezing out 10-2. and two. I settled at 9-3. and three. That is my pick for number three. I had him 9-3 as well, by the way. 9-3. and three. Citrus Bowl. All right. Moving on. Second down. Let's get a little bit of coach's poll reaction. We'll, we won't linger here too long, Ryan. We don't want to make it an hour and a half podcast. Um, and then we got a little bit of random college football. Chris is always great about sending us some things uh, that we want to cover. But we'll, we'll start... Um, with the coaches poll. So let's get into that. You just give me an overrated, underrated as we go. Alabama number one. Well, I, I, um, wait, Last year was a rebuilding season for yeah, them. Yeah, no, that's where they should be. I, I made my own top 25. Oh, you made your own? All right, who do you have number one? Bama. I have the top three is the same. The okay. same. Bama one, Ohio State two, Georgia three. That's no arguments from me on any of those. I, I think it should be that. Georgia lost a lot, but they're also reload. They were last year's defending national championship. I have no problem putting them at number three. And let me preface this by saying two. So, I was responsible back in the day for getting Amway as the first title sponsor of the coaches poll-ish. First title sponsor is the Amway coaches poll, if you remember, if you followed that stuff. And I would defend it to the nines about how important it was and why it was mattered so I could sell the fact that we needed it. It was, it was great for awareness. It, it, did, it did its job. But let's face it. These are coaches that are voting, and we're going to get into a couple of these in a minute, that don't even pay attention. They probably have some intern or grad assistant or whatever and some of these picks that we're going to get into are way less obvious and way ridiculous. The top three, notwithstanding, that's fine. All right, so we get into number four. Clemson had a not great year last year, an off year. They ended on a big streak. How, where do you have Clemson? I have them at five. I I, I thought about this as like, yeah, they're overrated, but their defense, they're, they might have one of the best defenses in the country. They have great skill players. It's a matter of... DJ Uli Ungalele being decent. If he's bad, they can put in Kate Klubnik, who's a five-star recruit. Uh, yeah, and ACC, I mean, generally speaking, the ACC is pretty weak. So, I, I I could say Clemson, I could see them shaking out here at the end of the year. Um, so, USA Today Coaches Bowl has Notre Dame number five. What do you uh, think about that? I have them, I have them at nine. I have them yeah, I, I think their defense would be good. I, their offense scares me. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They have no proven, not a ton of proven weapons aside from Michael Meyer, who's their tight end, one of the best and you, in the country. you have an unproven coach, right? Like he coached one game in the Bulls, right? Yeah, and they blew a huge lead. So, I I mean, I struggle. I think Notre Dame's going to be good this year. I didn't look at their schedule uh, myself to see. I might they start with Ohio State, but... Yeah, I think five is too high for Notre Dame right here. 
Then they've got Michigan number six. Too high. Too they're high. a top 10 team, but not six. Top so 10. I, I would say they're a top 12 team. In I have a. number eight. Okay. Texas A&M number seven. Perennial no. underachiever. They're good logo eight nine and four three. last year. Yeah, they're eight and four three. last year. I have nine number three. ten. They have talent. That's why they're ranked that. They're talented. Yeah. They're, they're not, not too far of a stretch at seven, but I would agree. I think they're a little overrated here. Utes, I'm bullish. Utes, I think, I, are I'm, underrated at I'm number like eight. Fourth. Ten and four, and they started, I believe, last year. I want to say they started the season like two and three or something like that. I mean, and they went crazy at the end and really could have beaten Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. That was an epic Rose Bowl. I think Utah is underrated at number eight myself. Sounds like you do too. Oklahoma, number nine. I have them six. New coach. Because they're talented. Talent, but new quarterback, new coach, new lots of things. I mean, it's Oklahoma. The Big the Big 12, though, I mean, Baylor's a really good team. I think Baylor, who the coaches have at number 10, is better seven. than Oklahoma. I seven. So I think Oklahoma's probably about in the right spot. Um, I'd say they're a little overrated there. Baylor, I think, is about in the right spot, maybe a little underrated at number 10. Um, they got a little run on Big 12 teams. Then you got number 11, the Pokes. I have um, 12. Yeah, but I think they're right. Baylor, Oklahoma State played in a great game last year. Baylor stopped them on fourth and goal at the one, and stopped them at the one inch line to win the Big Twelve last year. I think that's about right for Oklahoma State. Number twelve, Oregon Ducks. They seem to be kind of now one of those overrated. teams that gets rated highly every year, and they seem to have really underachieved. New coach, a um, lot of new things going on there. Uncertainty in the Pac twelve. I think at number twelve, they're overrated. I have them at seventeen. Um, a lot, a lot of guys I've heard on. Sports Radio too bullish on North Carolina State. They're not. They have one, as this year's year. maybe Wake Forest at number thirteen. I I got to see it again. I don't know their schedule. The ACC is a little bit weaker. I have them sixteenth. Um, I could see them top twenty, but I think they're a little overrated at thirteen. Michigan State fourteen. I think that's about right. I think I have them eleven. You know, fifteen ish maybe. Uh, for me, I think Michigan State, and Michigan are pretty interchangeable. Fourteen, fifteen, right in that range. Thirteen to through sixteen. So I think they're about spot on. Number 15, another team that went 4-8 and eight, but is super talented have Lincoln Riley, have I Oklahoma's have quarterback, 15. USC at 15. I think That's they potential. have to prove themselves. Uh, number 16, the Fighting Narduzzi's. Now, they got a USC transfer at quarterback. They lost the best wide receiver. They did he good, transfer to USC? Yeah, Addison did. Yeah, so. Traded. They have good defense. Their defense. Was big whiner as a coach. I don't know. I have a 20th. Top 20, yes. Top 16, no. Another team way overrated. Number 17, Miami. I get it. People are like, oh, it's Cristobal. But every new coach they have, they're like, oh, it's the guy. It's the guy. It's the guy. He can recruit. He can recruit. He gets Miami. He's a Miami guy. Mm. I don't think he turns it in one year. I don't. Maybe he had a lot of transfers, and he's going to go the Mel Tucker way. Um, I could see them top 25, but not 17th. Texas. Here's overrated. the anomaly. Overrated. They got a vote for number one in the coaches poll. They got a vote. Let me repeat that. For number one. They are number eighteen in the Who's preseason. They went five and seven. Uh, you had to piss off Jimbo. Uh, no way. I, mean, I didn't let them ranked. Yeah, I no, no. Texas hasn't been good consistently since Mac Brown left, and I just, I just don't, I just don't see it. Until proven otherwise, I don't see it. Number nineteen, Wake Forest had a great season last year. They do return a lot. Again, the ACC is weak. That seems about right. Probably a little bit higher for that than than me at nineteen. Wake, yeah, I am thirteen. Yeah, I think Their I think I think they're better than that. Um, Wisconsin, number twenty, looking for a rebound. They went nine and four last year. I, I could live with Wisconsin about twenty for now. I mean, the West is going to be pretty easy. It's going to 
be more of a beat up on each other um, division. Number twenty one, they have Kentucky at who went ten and three last year. They returned their quarterback, who by some accounts is the number one rated quarterback going to the draft next year. Kentucky, I, I, I think they'll be good. They have a real. He's good. I don't think he's as good as they say he is, but he's pretty good. I have him eighteenth. Yeah, I think I could. I see them inside back, the top twenty. Pretty solid defense. Some of those teams like a Texas that doesn't belong in the top twenty. Kentucky can take their spot. Number twenty two, Cincinnati. They return some guys, but they lose a lot. They had a great season last year. Still in the AAC, I think, for one more year, right? So um, I could live with that again. They got in the CFP last year. I'll give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But, hey, I'm going to go back to my Michigan State brothers, Chris, especially every podcast episode listener. You'll remember this. Going into our freshman year, Michigan State was ranked top 20 for sure, um, 1991, and promptly went and lost to Central Michigan 20-3. to Thank goodness before games like that were on TV. Um, and it was a train wreck of like a three and nine or three and eight season, something like Cincinnati that. Still? Yeah, I'm talking about how like that could yeah, happen to I Cincinnati. I don't think they'll tank like Michigan State did, but uh, 23 Arkansas. I do think they're Ar- underrated. I think Arkansas is a little underrated. They're very good. Mm-hmm. Pittman, great well coach. Well coached. Uh, number 24 Mississippi. I have uh, the 19th. Fighting Lane Kiffins. I think that you know they could be really good. They're going to have a good offense. Um, they may pull a surprise or two. And then number twenty five, the Houston Cougars, underrated, one of the best offenses returning, twelve and two last year. And yeah. I have Tennessee twenty second. So all told, um, one team not in there that I would argue, uh, Iowa, they weren't in there, right? No. I have them uh, tipping my hand, but I have them winning the Big Ten West. So there's a couple teams like that that I think are missing. Um, UCLA wasn't the top twenty five. Might they um, build upon what they did last year? BYU not in there. I think that they're usually perennially pretty good. Coastal Carolina. So I think there's some teams that are missing um, that are probably a little bit more apt in my book to need to be in there. But that is a quick look anyway at what's going on with that. So also in college football, though, um, let's just mention this. Now, this is hotter off the presses. If you hadn't seen it, it hasn't splashed as a huge deal yet because the officials aren't out. The Big Ten media rights, which we've talked a little bit about here, and you've heard my wish list. My wish list was bag ESPN altogether. Get rid of them. Well, for the first time in 40 years, and I think this takes effect next year, not this year, the Big Ten in football and basketball will no longer be seen on ESPN and its networks. Thank God. Think about that. No longer be seen on ESPN and its networks. And here's why. Fox, we know, has at least a 51%. I think it's actually a 60% stake. They've got the Big Ten Network. The plan is that I've read, and this is per The Athletic, which I still have my subscription, even though get a beat writer, Athletic. Uh, Nicole Arbach, who writes about media type of stuff for them. The plan is that ESPN or that CBS, NBC, and Fox will kind of split the big games every week. CBS and NBC... Uh, we'll each pay about $350 million. And then we're just talking about football. We're not, I mean, we're talking about the TV package, but for the purposes of the game times, we're talking about football. Um, Fox will have an inventory, obviously, Big Ten Network, and then they're still talking about streaming. I hope they don't do that because until they get streaming to the point where you don't have to pay $10, $15, 20 bucks for every single one of them and piece them together, what's the point? Cable costs me that much. Anyway, I digress. Here's the plan. Tell me you don't like this, Ryan. Big Noon. Fox, big noon kickoff. Fox owns a Big Ten game there. Got the noon slot right yep. there. 3.30, prime 
former SEC slot CBS. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Uh, Big Ten game. 7.30 night game every week NBC. Love it. Which makes you wonder, does this force Notre Dame's hand because they've been in bed with NBC for a really long time? Maybe not now, but down the road. The rest of the game is scattered, of course. Probably Fox, you know, 3.30 or 4 o'clock game, which actually I like that Fox does a noon and a 4 o'clock because they actually account for the fact that TV makes the game so damn long. Um, Games on Big Ten Network. Those are all things I can get on board with. Hallelujah. I don't like ESPN anyway. I could give two you-know-whats if ESPN doesn't share Big Ten highlights because I don't need to watch ESPN to see the Big Ten highlights. I'll go watch it on BTN. I, for one, am thrilled with that. What's your overall take? Yeah, I'm excited. Just get out of ESPN. That's... Let them have the SEC. Let them have what's left of the Pac-12. Let them have what's left of the Big 12. I mean, so let, that's guess. fine. Let them have the ACC. I, I don't care. And then it's it's kind of like the old days of AFC, NFC. The AFC was always on, way back when when I was a kid, it was NBC, and the, and the NFC was always on CBS. Now there's a lot more crossover on those networks, but I think this is great. It's great for viewers as well. So... Other big thing we'll get to in college football, a couple questions that Chris threw at us. So, apologize for you non-Michigan State fans. This was um, related mostly to Michigan State based on Ryan's previews. Chris asks, last year the quarterback battle was the most intriguing position battle at Michigan State. What's the most intriguing battle this year? It's got to be running back. I mean, there's so many guys up for grab. There are so many guys going for one, one or two spots, I think. That makes it intriguing, especially after last year having K-9 uh, trying to fill those shoes. I think for me it's corner. Um, I think, you know, you've covered in the in the previews that you did, position previews, that, you know, there's definitely a handful of guys that are there. Probably Ronald Williams is penciled in at one. Is it a mere speed at the other? I don't know. That's what's going to be interesting to me, and can those guys hold the spot? It was musical chairs last year because they were not very good, so I'm going to go corner. Chris also asked, what starter from last year still needs to prove himself this year? As in, who maybe was a flash in the pan last year or, or needs to kind of show an extended greatness um, to say that he's proven to you? Yeah, I mean, anyone. Ronald Williams, if he starts at corner, Chester Kimbrough, F. Nickel, one of those two, I think, for sure. Yeah, for me, now Chris Chris said he would say for the first question running back, so he agreed with you. And for the, his his player, he'd say he needs to prove himself as Thorne, that he was good but not great last year, and he needs to prove he can be elite without K-9 to bail him out. I disagree with that, Chris. I think that um, he already statistically was one of the best quarterbacks I at Michigan State. Yeah, K-9 definitely helped him, but Michigan State's got a full running back room this year, and they don't need somebody to be like K-9 was because he's got some great wide receivers. He's got some game-breaking tight ends, which Michigan State hasn't had in a while. For me, um, I'd say, man, the flash in the pan, could you say it's Piotrowski at defensive end? Yeah, I don't know. He's a blue-collar guy, though. Cal Halliday, I mean, he kind of bursts on the scene from nowhere. But those guys, see, they proved themselves to me over time. i got to go with Ryan. I think it's one of those corners, whatever corner steps up. I think that's the most intriguing position battle. And I think that's where a guy needs to prove that he is in it for the long haul and he's good. Like a Ronald Williams is a great example. Alabama lineage prior to coming to Michigan State had a little bit of a rough start. If he was really that good, and he was good in, in spurts, and he mostly held down that starting corner job. Can he hold it down again this year? To me, that's where I would go with that. 
All right, Ryan, let's move on to third down, which is our second picks in the East and the West. I will let you uh, grab on and go first here. Well, there's two teams left, and um, the one I'm going with here, the Iowa Hawkeyes. 2017, they went 8-5. 2018, 9-4. 2019, 10-3. 2020, 6-2. Last year, they went 10-4. Fun fact, Kirk Ferentz is the dean of Big Ten football coach. He's been there since, oh, 2000 or 2001. I can't remember which one. Um, their defense is going to be great. I, I have no, There's no question about it. Their offense, on the other hand, Venture Petrus. <laughs> Iowa's offense is never he is, good. He is, I'm sorry for my language. He is complete and total dog shit. He's horrible quarterback. But he's their only option that they have. There's other guy, Alex Padilla. He's worse, if that's even possible. How can a program as steady as Iowa They've never had a quarterback? A good quarterback. CJ Beathard's been the best one. He was not very good. And he was on their, what, 2015, their potential yes. playoff team. Yeah. yeah. Petrus, what a Petrus, whatever. He had ten touchdowns and nine picks last year. That's awful. Um, they lost Kyler, Tyler Goodson, their running back, and then one other guy in the backfield. So they need to make up some spot. Gavin Williams, he should be the number one. They got Lashawn Williams. They have potential. They always seem to have some random guy burst on and be good. Shocker! Iowa's got a great tight end. It's Sam Laporta this year. They always have a great tight end. Mm-hmm. He's going to be really good. He's going to get targeted a lot. Um, when they have Keegan Johnson, he's their one of their best receiver. Then Nico Reggiani, that's some, of course, that's Iowa's receiver, some little Italian guy. Um, they lost their. They usually th- have some hyphenated last name guy they're, too. They probably do. They they lost their three um, interior offensive linemen, but Iowa just turns out offensive linemen left and right. It seems very young room, but very talented, um, and they have versatility guys that can play different positions. Um, their key newcomers, Caleb Johnson, he's a three-star running back, and Jacob Bostic, three-star wide receiver. Um, transfers, they only had one guy come in, and it's some tight end. They don't really need a tight end. Um, anyways, defense, this is where it's real. Jack Campbell, linebacker, 143 tackles last year. He's on, like, every defensive watch list possible. Great. Not to mention his linebacking buddy from last year, Seth Benson and Justin Jacobs. They're both back. So all three stars at linebacker are back. Then they have defensive tackle Noah Shannon and Logan Lee. They're back. Uh, they were pretty good. Logan No D Lee from yep. Rockford. Yep. Nice. Then Lucas Van Ness and Joe Evans return. They each had seven sacks last year playing some DN. Um, so they've guys that have gotten to the quarterback before. Um, and in the secondary, they have Riley Moss and Kayvon Merriweather holding down the fort back there. They both had handful of interceptions. Were really good. Ball hawks. Um, so their their defense is going to be something fierce. I, I that's going to be for me big challenge for Michigan early in the season. That's in Michigan's first Big Ten challenge, first road game. That could be interesting. Um, they're key, They've got a defense built to slow an offense. Key like that. newcomers: Aaron Graves, four-star defensive lineman, expecting to play. Aaron Nwankpa, four-star safety, expecting to play. Special teams: punter Tory Taylor's back, forty-six point one yards per punt last year. Pretty dang good. They lost their kicker, Caleb Shudik. They have freshman Drew Stevens coming in. Looks to be like he's the, the guy. Strength of this team, by far, it's on the defensive side of the football. They're for real. We're probably one of the top ten defenses in the country going into this year. Weakness, quarterback play, offensive explosiveness in general. They need big plays. They need some juice. They need the, I, I don't know. They need something. They need to score points. Um but yeah, I, I'm going nine and three overall, six and three in the Big Ten, tied for second. 
um, in the West there. Um, their schedule is, it's it's not awful, but it's not easy, I, I guess. I mean, you look at South Dakota State, I mean, yeah, didn't they, they lost to them. They lost with um, uh, FCS Somebody team, like that, yeah. ran a 2016 or 17, one of those years. Haven't won that, but I mean, that's a good program right there. Iowa State, whatever, the Cyhawk um, rivalry game there. Never easy, but having winning. Then they play Nevada, having them getting the win there. Um, then they go to Rutgers, winning that. Then Michigan, I think they're going to pull that off. I really do. Uh, then Illinois, um, they visit Illinois, having them winning that. So they have them starting off 6-0. and They go into a bye. Then they go to the shoe. Just get embarrassed. Loss. Can't put up points to keep up with Ohio no. State. Can't slow Ohio State down. Then they have home against Northwestern, winning that. At Purdue, winning that. Um, then they go uh, have a home game against Wisconsin, have them losing that. And then they go to Minnesota, have them losing that. Then finish the year in their annual day after Thanksgiving game versus Nebraska, winning that. 3-0, and 6-3 um, and three overall, 9-3. and three, I'm sorry, 6-3 and three in the Big Ten, 9-3 overall, tied for second in the West. Um, they've gone to the Tampa Bowl. Tampa Bay Bowl like 25 times in the last few years. Like so I've been going to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Dukes. Ooh. All right, my Big Ten West number two. This is where Ryan and I have a very differing opinions, and so we might have to put a side wager on it. I actually have Nebraska in this fourth tied for second spot for me. Uh, I had the other teams going eight and four. I have them going seven and five because I have them losing to Oklahoma in the out of conference. Uh, I have them going five and four, two and one, and thus why I have them in the two slot. Uh, versus Minnesota, Purdue, and Wisconsin. And I have them beating Iowa to close out the season uh, and going to the Music City Bowl. I think it saves Scott Frost's job. Um, and if that does not come to fruition, Nebraska will be looking for a new coach next year. All right. So for me, excuse me, Big Ten East number two for me. Solo second place, the Michigan State Spartans. Five-year trend. A little bit of a U-shape. 7-2 and two in 2017. 2018 slid a little bit five and four. 2019 four and five. Coach D left. 2020 two and five was kind of a disaster. Then the transfer portal hit. Michigan State swung back to seven and two last year. I think they're on more of a trajectory where they were in the late 2000s, early 20-teens to the mid 20-teens with D'Antonio, where they're going to compete each and every year for one of those two top three spots. I believe. I think Michigan State is perennially in better shape than Penn State. At me, argue with me all you want. But until Penn State can prove that they can consistently beat the big boys, I just think Michigan State is a notch above them. And I think it's going to be between, you know, Ohio State's almost always going to be the favorite. And I think Michigan State and Michigan get to the point where their game really matters every year. And I think that this is the case this year, as I mentioned in the Michigan preview previously. Fun fact, Michigan State, then Michigan Agricultural College, a.k.a. MAC, sweet alt jerseys for basketball, by the way. I'd love to see them for football. Once played in the MIAA, which is the nation's oldest intercollegiate athletics conference, home to Ryan's alma mater, Hope College, and they won two conference championships there. Fun fact for you. Michigan State summary. So I will admit, I did not write this out like I write out most of my previews because I'm going off of a little bit of uh, listening to Ryan and his great... And Siri, what she says, going going off of what Ryan said in his great previews, uh, over the month of June and July, summarily. Michigan State is going to be really good again this year. Last year, it's well they documented. Yeah, according they to Pete, lucky. they were lucky. They 20 transfers. You know, you'd yeah, say lucked into a guy like K-9. 
I call that talent evaluation. I call that an NFL coach knowing how to use the new benefits of the transfer portal, you know, as he calls it, free agency versus the draft, which is recruiting. I think Michigan State upgraded in all their positions. I think they returned some really good talent. Yeah, you replacing a guy like Kane. I mean, he's a once in a lifetime guy. Maybe I mean he arguably one of the best running backs at Michigan State. No question. It's hard to replace that. But Michigan State's got guys coming in, too. So I think, you know, summary-wise, while the offense might look different, is it really going to be worse just because K-9's not there? I don't buy that. Defense, can it get much worse? I mean, the run defense has always been pretty good. Need to be better at the pass rush. Definitely need to be better um, at stopping the pass. We'll get into the offense-defense here in a little bit. Um, But summary-wise, I think Michigan State is on an upward trajectory. There's a reason why they ponied up to pay Mel Tucker. They saw something. They see something. They have something. They know something in him. They wanted to lock him up. He's building the program the right way. Spartan dog con, all that good stuff. I think Michigan State is on the up and up. And is definitely, in the way that the divisions settle now, is going to be right there with Ohio State and Michigan um, for the years to come. And we'll see what happens when USC and UCLA come in and do they keep divisions or what do they do? But regardless, offensively, Michigan State, mark my words, will be as good offensively, if not a little bit better than they were last year. Will they be as strong on the ground? No. But if you look at it, what they've got coming in and what they've got coming back. So coming back, you have Elijah Collins, who was almost a thousand yard rusher for that not great, you know, his freshman year. You had, or it was 2019, I guess. Um, that not great year was Jordan Simmons, who was pretty good. He's fast, but he just runs into his backs. He's probably like sixth on the depth chart. You've got David Prim, who Ryan talked about, who I think is poised and maybe make some noise. you got Harold Joyner, who came in last year. Might they may make him a little bit more of a uh, Connor Hayward H-back type? You've got Broussard, who, by the way, was a Pac-12 player of the year and an offensive player of the year and a stud at Colorado in this offense with Mel Tucker, maybe call him a poor man's canine similar vision similar cutting maybe not quite as fast uh, but I'm intrigued by that I'm intrigued by what I've heard about Berger who was a big back and a good pass receiver you know he started and was a really good player for Wisconsin as a true freshman he was a top 100 player I think in the country Um, a prototypical Wisconsin running back don't sweat for Michigan State when it comes to the running game is what I'm going to say a passing game yes you lose Jalen Naylor Tough guy to lose. Speedy was great. He had that un- amazing game against Rutgers last year. Jalen Reed just goes and freaking, or Jaden Reed just goes up and freaking catches the ball. Go sure watch his is. highlights. I mean, the dude makes plays. And he makes plays on special teams. He is a special player. And I would put him up there. Now, Ohio State arguably easily as the, you could say easily as the best wide receivers in the Big Ten. But I think Reed would start at Ohio State. That's how good he is. I think he's great. I think Keon Coleman is is. he's poised for a breakout he's big he's fast he knows routes he's been in the system and this is the thing is guys who have been in a system and don't just expect to play in a skill position as a freshman and kind of bide their time those are the guys who burst onto the scene Uh, Michigan State has some other depth at wide receiver Peyton Thorne established proven now if he goes down if he gets hurt then it gets dicey I will give you that because there's no experience behind him I mean there's some talent for sure um, but he pretty much has that thing locked up for as long as he wants to stay and as long as he stays healthy. So as long as he stays clean, 
you know, Michigan State's passing game is going to even take a step up. They've got better tight end play, I think, between Barker coming in from Illinois. Yep. Malik Carr made some plays down the stretch last year. He's a former wide receiver. He stretches the field and more in the vein of, you know, Florida's old guy that plays for um, Pizza Pitts. Kyle Pitts. Yeah. For uh, the Falcons now. Um, Michigan State's offense, going to be great. The one big asterisk, if whatever you want to call it, and Ryan talked about this in his previews, is the offensive line. I'm confident and comfortable with the first six even. Carrick's on kind of a pitch count right now coming back from an injury. you got Green coming in from Washington State. I think the, the starting five plus one, really, really good, could start for most teams in the Big Ten. That's where it gets dicey after that because you've got to go eight, eight deep, maybe even nine deep. Michigan State's schedule a little bit up front allows for it, and it's going to have to. Some of these young guys are going to have to step up, and then we're going to see how good Michigan State is at developing offensive linemen uh, for the future going forward. And frankly, they're going to need to because a lot of these guys are getting up there to be like seniors, and they have such a gap. It's like seniors and redshirt freshmen. So I want to see some of those guys play. I think that's going to be key. I think Walker made his offensive line look better than they were last year. I don't know that these guys can make the offensive line look better, but I think the offensive line at the same time is probably, at least for the starting point, a smidge better. Offense, not a worry. Defense can get worse, right? I mean, Michigan State, like I said, very sound up front. They rotate as many as six guys at defensive tackle. Big guys. Slade, you got a great recruit like Van Summerman. I mean, uh, throughout some of the other guys, Ryan, that they had at D-tackle, I mean, they've got some fantastic defensive linemen. They need to up the, the game in the pass rush. I think that was a big problem. We've talked about this on the podcast for the secondary last year. You can only expect your corners to cover for so long, right? Like right. You, you, can't, you can't just defend and defend and defend and defend because the receiver has the advantage of being able to know what the quarterback's doing with his eyes better and blah, blah, blah. Michigan State's defense will get better if the pass rush gets better. I think as Ryan set up in his preview, they're poised to get better. I think they've made some improvements there. I think they've got some speed guys. I think they've got some situational pass rushers. I think all in all, the front, the inside I've never have a problem with. I think the ends will be a little bit of an upgrade. I think a linebacker will be more and more of an upgrade. Michigan State loses Cavarius Crouch. He was a good fill-in last year for an improvement from the year before. Cal Halliday comes back. Michigan State has a lot of depth at linebacker. I think Darius Snow gives Michigan State some great options because now that he's settled in at linebacker, he gives you a guy that can truly cover in space if you want to go more 4-3, but he's the thumper of a hitter. So he's more of a fit there naturally than he was at nickelback or safety anyway, uh, carrying on the lineage of his uncle, Percy Snow. I think Michigan State's linebacker has got an upgrade. Got Brule from Mississippi State, right? And then you got the the guy from um, UNLV. I think linebacker is an upgrade. I think corner is obviously is the big question. I think safety, Michigan State's all right, especially at Gross and um, Henderson at the starters. Uh, you know they've got to get some depth going there. We got some young guys back there, but I expect that we'll get that worked in. Corner is the question, like last year. But again, can they help out with the pass rush to make those cornerbacks look a little bit better? I don't think it's because they're not athletic. I don't think it's because they're not very good. I think they just were exposed. Because Michigan State's pass rush was way too inconsistent. So I think, you know, that was something, too, that helped Michigan. On the other hand, last year, Hutchinson and Ojabo had great corners back there that they knew could sit on those routes and they could get to the quarterback just like that. And that's why that one-two punch worked for them really well last year. That's the big question mark for me for Michigan State this year on defense. 
uh, on special teams. Uh, you know, who would have thought that, you know, wild thing, uh, Behringer would be the, you know, yep, yep. leading Ray guy candidate going into last year. Um, you know, last year we're like, oh my gosh, can this guy kick it 35 yards? And he was fantastic. So hopefully he can mimic that again this year. It's always a little bit of a, you know, a roll of the dice when you have a freshman kicker come in. But guys that get recruited, highly rated, whatever, you get a scholarship, you should be good. Um, You know, so hopefully that will work its way out for Michigan State. Shouldn't be any real pressure situations early. Maybe get a few kicks under their belt and uh, and get things going. You know, whether it's Reed at punt or if they kind of protect him a little bit, I think they've got plenty of guys. I agree with Ryan. I think, you know, Michigan State's got a running back or two or a wide receiver or two buried in the depth chart. Make them into a stud there and let them kind of shine there and, and feel good about themselves. And I think Michigan State could have a pretty good return game, which has been, until Reed uh, was pretty average, you know, between Martin and Reed, honestly. And you talk about a guy like Brandon Sowards and <laughs> Casper the Friendly Ghost, and it was, it was pretty ugly back there. So I think special teams will be at least, you know, we'll say um, maybe above average for Michigan State, you know, with the potential to be really good depending on the return game and depending on how good that kicker pans out. But, you know, punter is underrated. You've got to be able to turn the field. I think that's going to be a strength for Michigan State. Um, you know, all in all, I think Michigan State's strength is it's got really good weapons and it's got a good array of weapons. I think the weakness, um, until proven otherwise, is, is the pass rush leading to that cover corner, corner coverage. And it's going to take some work there to show me otherwise. Um, they've got a little ways to go. Uh, the good news is, picks-wise, Michigan State starts out you know, with a pretty decent Western Michigan team on a Friday, but that's a, a game. Um, little caveat, Peyton Thorne's dad is now the offensive coordinator at Western Michigan, so yep. that'll be a little bit interesting. But Western's got some talented guys. Um, hey, Reed went to Western. I mean, they they were recruiting Thorne. So Western's got some decent guys. It's a decent MAC program, but I think Michigan State gets the win there. They play Akron the next week. they got to win. That's our buddies' reunion game. Of course, they're going to get the win. Go at Washington. Never easy to go to the you know the Pacific Northwest. Go on the West Coast. Go on a road trip. Um, I think Washington's rebuilding a little bit. I don't think that they're very good. I think Michigan State maybe you know we thought last year against Miami that would be like a, ooh is it a stumble is it a chance it's it's definitely a chance like a turn of the season. I do think Michigan State gets that win um, at Washington in Seattle. Come home things get real a little bit quicker. They got Minnesota. It's an upgrade from who they had to play in the West last year. Um, but at home, I, I've got that as a win. At Maryland is one of those games that could get dicey, but I've got as a win on the road. And then you got kind of the first rubber meets the road game, and it's Ohio State in East Lansing mid-October. Um, that's a statement game. Michigan State has a lot to prove after last year's debacle in Columbus. It's not going to be that kind of a debacle, but Michigan State's not going to win that game. Ohio State's going to win probably by 20 points, I would say. Uh, so Michigan State takes the L there. The nice thing is that they do bounce back before their shared bye week with Michigan with a win over Wisconsin in a kind of a gritty grinder type of game, old school win. Mel gets one against his alma mater. Um, as we talked about in the Michigan preview, I think until proven otherwise, Michigan State has Michigan's number. Uh, I think Michigan's offense maybe arguably is a little bit more explosive than Michigan State's, but I think at least at this point in time on paper, Michigan State has the more potential to turn in a better defense. Will that be the case? I don't know. We'll find out that week, and we'll talk about it in our previews then. For now, for preseason, I've got Michigan State winning that game on the road and continuing with a win at Illinois, a win against Rutgers, a win against Indiana. And then 
with a chance, maybe still despite that loss to Ohio State, to root for Michigan to beat Ohio State and get in the Big Ten Championship game, I think Penn State does jump up and get Michigan State in that last game of the year. Michigan State goes 3-0 and out of conference. They go 7-2 and in the Big Ten for second place, 10-2, and um, and they go to the Rose Bowl, which means if that's the case, Chris, get your tickets. Ryan says we're going, so i got Michigan State finishing second, going to the Rose Bowl. Well, it's funny. Um, we both have Michigan State going. Actually, I'm sorry. I have Michigan State going to the Orange Bowl. At 11-1, and one, I might say I have my green goggles on. That may be the case, but in all seriousness, I think this Michigan State team is more talented than last year. I think they're, they filled holes. I mean, yeah, they don't have Kenneth Walker. They have great quarterback. They have weapons on the outside. They have a pretty experienced front seven. Their pass defense is going to get better. They have good special teams. That's why I have them going 11-1. I, I thought 10-2, and two, and then I thought about, we're not going to lose to Penn State. Penn State sucks. James <laughs> I, don't disagree. sucks. I don't disagree with you. We're not losing to them. He's still butthurt about big man touchdown a couple years ago. Yeah, we're going to go eleven and one, and we're going to we're going to only going to lose to Ohio State, and we're going to go to the Orange Bowl or the Rose Bowl, something like that, and it's going to be glorious. I think their floor is really probably nine eight, wins. I think eight I, and four I, is the bare minimum. That's yeah. I mean, if bare obviously minimum. if Thorne were to get hurt or something, then seven five eight and four looks more realistic. Um, you know, I don't think they're. CFP material, but I do think that they're heading in that right direction. Again, I think there's a reason why Michigan State paid Mel Tucker what they paid him. They're not dumb. They've made a business decision. Um, you know, not like Penn State who made a knee-jerk reaction to keep a coach that they're kind of like, eh, maybe we like him. Everything at Michigan State, everything about him, everybody likes Mel Tucker. They see what's good with him. They see the way he runs his program. They see the culture he's building, which is off of a great culture from Coach D'Antonio. I think Michigan State has another really good season and kind of puts that stake in the ground to shut these other Pete's and everybody else in the world up that, oh, it was a flash in the pan. No, your over-under was four. Your butt hurt because you bet the under last year, and Michigan State smashed it. And their over-under this year is seven or seven and a half, and they're going to go over it again. Just going to happen. Speaking of Michigan State, I'm going to say it again. This is basketball-wise. Thank you for proving me wrong, Tom Izzo. You, oh, you yeah. are the Great master. Point. Two more recruits since our last podcast. A Matt McQuaid-type shooter, and then you got a guy, Cone Carr. 45-inch vertical. inch vertical leap. That's better than most guys in the NBA. Unbelievable. Yeah, dude, look up his highlights. Man. We that got guy, him. We wrote his obituary. Both of them are lefties. Like uh, Three lefties, don't they? Two uh, lefties, three lefties? I believe Booker's a lefty. Left, yeah. But uh, not, not, not the Garrett, not, not Fears. Gotcha. All right. All right, moving on to fourth down. And we're going long again because, hey, we love talking Big Ten football, and that's how it goes. So uh, fourth down golf, we talked a little bit about Sir Nick retiring. Um, you know, it's funny. I hated him as a player. Like, I rooted for somebody, ironically, like Greg Norman against him because Norman seemed like the likable loser um, and Faldo seemed like the stoic ass. But you watch him and the way he was emotional, and he really was good for the game of golf. He was really good as an announcer on CBS um, I thought he was pretty funny. I thought he was pretty cheeky. Uh, I think he will be missed. It'll be interesting to see how Emmelman does because Sir Nick was there for a really, really long time. Um, again, to golf. So last week ended the regular season uh, for 2022. FedEx Cup starts this week. I think the St. Jude. 
I had, yep. a, I had a, both my guys, I think, withdrew or yeah, something. Yeah, you had I mean, some weird crap. My guys finished seventh combined. Thomas the Tank Engine won it. For, now, here's the, how's this for a fun fact? No guy in history, I think, that had even started with a double bogey, let alone, he started his Why? tournament with a quadruple bogey eight. Nobody had ever won a tournament, had they double bogeyed, triple bogeyed, or more their first hole in a tournament, and he quadruple bogeyed it, and he won it going away. Pretty amazing. Impressive. And he shot, what, like a 27 on the front nine on yeah, Sunday? Yeah, he was open. Lights out. Lights open. out. 20 years old, um, youngest PGA champ in quite a while. Another fun fact on that. So, contest-wise, we can skip that. Who? I mean, this week, I haven't even honestly looked at the field. I know what it's the it's top, top 125. It's the FedEx. Um, I got Finau and Neiman. Those are my two. Boy, and is that Memphis? Who was up there last year? Answer won it last year. Wasn't wasn't uh, DeChambeau was and, and uh, Harris English? Didn't they battle and they both kind of like screwed the pooch down the yeah? Burns. Down the it was stretch. a three man playoff. I think it was Cam Burns. Smith was up there too, right? Did you? Yeah, just I think say it was that? Cam Smith, Burns, and um, and uh, what's his what? answer? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, Burns and Scheffler. I have not even looked at it. I know that they haven't necessarily done, done great lately, but I'm gonna go with Burns and Scheffler. Um, all right, now we got to talk a little bit about LAV. Another thing from Chris, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So he sends me a text. I'm becoming a big Billy fan. By Billy, he means Billy Horschel. Billy Ho, baby. Quote from Billy Horschel this week: Why do they need to be part of the PGA Tour? Why do they need a double dip? Why do they need to have their cake and eat it at the same time and sort of rub it in all the other PGA Tour players' faces? That just doesn't make sense to me. And he's talking about the guys on the Live Tour, led by Phil and three guys that tried to get an injunction to play, which the, a judge ruled today in favor of the PGA. They cannot play in the FedEx Cup. That's in reference to the lawsuit, the Live against PGA. Complete and utter BS. Yeah. Agree completely with Billy. Like, Chris's, Chris's point is... So, if Michael Jordan left to go play in China for millions of dollars, more than the NBA would play him, would the NBA ever allow his China team to come play in the NBA playoffs? F no, that's what he said. I mean, seriously, like, how how can they even fathom that that's real? And I'm sorry. These guys are so I was an unapologetically big-time fan of Phil Mickelson. Lovable loser. Like, all the second-place finishes in the U.S. Open. All the just brain fart moves and the ways that he lost. Like, he was a lovable guy. Like, the thumbs up and the activate your caps, and he was funny. Your stick is not funny anymore, Phil. I think you're an ass. I think you're selfish. I think you're greedy. I don't ever want to root for you or see you play again. I don't want you tied with anything, with anything great in golf anymore. So take your lawsuit and shove it up your you-know-what. And the other guy that I thought was great that spoke up, I think I saw this on The Athletic, was Rocco Mediate. You know, very self-deprecating in his humor, talked about how he's low man on the rung, but how he got to battle the guy at the top in that 2000, I think it was the 2008 U.S. Open, right, with Tiger on one yep. leg. Lost to him by one in an 18-hole playoff, back when they did 18-hole playoffs for the U.S. Open. You know, talking about how the PGA made guys like him, gave guys like him a workman, a chance, like to make the cuts and to grind. And, like, that's whatever happened to earning your way. It's like the transfers in college sports. Oh, I'm not playing. I'm going to leave. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, my ball. I'm going to take it and run. If you want to do that and you want to leave for the live tour and you're playing your shotgun 54-hole events with a bunch of, you know, like happy Gilmore-type fans, go. Go. But you can't, like... Billy said, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't be in both. 
You made a decision to leave. Whether you want to say antitrust or whatever, that's a whole nother matter. But these guys wanting to play in both and, oh, it's not fair, I earned my way there. Yep, you earned your way there. But then you said, ant and flew the bird to the PGA. And they said, and back to you. And they booted you out. It's pretty simple to me. Like, when is this going to stop? When are these guys going to get out of their selfish heads and realize you made a decision to play in a crappy league for a lot of money, but you're not competing ever again. You're not playing 72-hole with cuts. You don't have that pressure. You left. You made that choice. More power to you. You had that freedom of choice. You went and took the money. Ryan said it seems imminent that Cam Smith's going to go. I would, for one, be horrified by that because I would have to then put Cam Smith up there with Phil Mickelson as a guy that I love, a cat that I love to love. I would have to start to hate because you're just going after the easy money. Earn it. You ever seen Saving Private Ryan when you know the captain says to Private Ryan, earn this, earn this, the fact that we came and found you? That's what the PGA is, earn this. These guys that grind. Look at the guy, I can't remember his name. He missed like a four-footer in Greensboro. That yeah, would have kept um, his card. I don't know if it would have kept, got him in the at FedEx, but he was a rookie. But he needed to make it to yep, keep his tour card. Yeah, raw motion. And he missed like it. Not you it know, like it's a, a pressure pot. It's like a five or six footer, but he, it slid past. And I mean, just the pure emotion of the grind. Like these guys work for this. That's what everybody should do. That's America. You should work for it. Stop being a liberal Democrat. Gimme, 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 gimme everything I want, and then I want more. That's not how it works. That's not how this country was founded. That's not where, how business works in this country. If you want that, go take your Saudi sport washing money and get out. You can't have both. You can't have both. You leave, you're gone. Again, you want to say anti-Trump, whatever. There's ways to do that, but the PGA has no reason to say you are welcome on back. It's the same thing with the USFL and the NFL. It's They didn't play in both. You picked one, you picked the other until the one crash down and when the live tour crashes down you damn well better hope that you haven't pissed off and burned every bridge in the pack and the pga so that you can come back ryan i know you had a little bit of a take on that too yeah i just the lid pisses me off it's getting worse yeah i i get the pga needs to make some changes and they're they are making them you know the money wise stuff but these guys are all clowns man it just needs to they, they these guys that are complaining you're playing a they, game that ryan and i play for fun, and we pay to play, you're getting paid to play a game. And not even have to earn your money. You don't even, all you have to do to earn your money is to show up. I don't have to just show up to work to earn my money. These guys that are trying to get the, whatever, suing the PGA Tour, the Gooch, and whatever, the two other investors. I don't even remember their names because they suck so bad. They've made, in their career, over $40 million combined in the, the... Ju- their lawyer said, oh, these poor gentlemen. Screw that. These guys aren't poor. Yeah. $40 million. If that's poor, what are we? Exactly. Exactly. I, I just, you look, they're getting their way because guys like us are talking about it, but all you're doing is pissing me off even more, and you've gotten me convinced that a guy that I thought, okay, I can live with still liking him, Mickelson, now his name's at the front of this. Screw you, Phil. Go away. Go away. I don't know why you need so much money. I don't know why you're trying to so hard to go to your deathbed making this and ruining your legacy and pissing on what Arnie and Gary and Jack and Watson and Hogan and all those other guys, Sneed, Hagen, etc., built for you. 
don't talk to me anymore. Don't talk to me anymore. All right. Moving off of golf, we shall see how the FedEx Cup goes. It's a nice little weekend watch while we get ready for real football here coming up. Moving on to our sprint. Ryan wouldn't be one of our podcasts if we didn't take a little bit of a dig at Michigan. More overrated, Harbaugh or Corum? Harbaugh. <laughs> Corum is a, is a shifty good back. I don't see him as an every down back, but I, I got to go. I agree. Harbaugh got them to a point, but again, I go back to their perennial overrated. It's number six in the country. I don't see it. Uh, sprint spot number two, higher ceiling, Purdue or maybe Minnesota? Purdue. I think Minnesota. I think Minnesota's got more proven quality. You know, you just kind of going through like where Purdue has some shortcomings on the offensive line. I'm going to go with Minnesota there. Mm-hmm. Um, spot number three. Well, this one was already answered because I was going to say, who wins the suit, Liv or PGA? And the, they they ruled really yeah. early in it, and the PGA won. So at least that's good, or at least that part of it they won. Uh, Long term, I think they also, uh, there may be some ramifications on the antitrust, but whatever. Um, this one I haven't even thought about, so I'm going to throw you for a curveball. Last sprint. Tailgate song that makes you want to do a shot. I don't care. Anything. <laughs> Doesn't matter which one. Oh, man. I'm, I was trying to think through our playlist. We were burning through them last night. What catches my mood probably more than anything? Um, Johnny Cash. Because that, that makes Uncle Bob want to do a shot. So I'm going to yeah. go with... Uh, which one is that anyway? Ring of fire. Ring of fire. Yep, ring of fire. That's a fireball shot waiting to happen right there. All right, Ryan, close us up. Final score thirty-five. Give us your thoughts. Uh, if you're following us on Apple Pod, Podbean, whatever, um, Spotify, press that thumb up if you like it. If you don't, you can give us a thumb down. We we understand. We're we can take criticism. Uh, leave a comment if you want. But appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate our sponsor, Team Andrews Realtors. Um, if anyone else wants to sponsor, um, we'll probably do our Pick'em. Dang, coming up here quick. Can't wait for that. Yeah, um, we could go with the Pick'em sponsor. We got yeah, lots of opportunities. I don't know. We got a lot Come of on stuff board. going on. Come on board, yeah. Shout out to Jim, Donna, Tim, Sean, the Anders clan. Uh, great people, great realtors. TeamAnders.com if you have West Michigan realty needs. Um, meantime, yes, I know it's just preseason. Yes, I know the games don't count. But who cares? Football is back.